Father, as we come to thee tonight in that lovely name of the Lord Jesus, we are so happy as we approach these holy days, knowing that this represents the greatest time on earth. It's when that all-sufficient sacrifice was made that poor lost sinners might be made free. And have this great hope that we have within our bosoms tonight that someday he will come again. And tonight, as approaching this pulpit, coming through the door and hearing this old song, we'll have a grand homecoming week. The first 10,000 years brings back memories of many years ago when we met here in the tabernacle before the great worldwide revival started. And Father God, we just cherish those thoughts and seemingly good in our soul that we return again tonight to begin another one of those old-fashioned revivals where sinners call out for mercy and where the backslider makes things right with God again. And the Holy Spirit is the main person in the meeting who takes hold and rules and brings to us the bread of life through the Word. And we pray that he'll minister to us night after night in this revival. Heal the sick and the needy. Sanctify every believer and get glory out of these efforts that we put forth. For Father God, it's only to the honor and glory of his name that we ask it. Amen. This is to fulfill a promise that I made 11 years ago, a long time getting around to it, but to return back to the tabernacle for revival. Now we know that our little tabernacle is insufficient and room for a revival, but we'll just jam in here and the best we can for the next few nights for the glory of God. And uh, I love to have a meeting in the church. Many places we have them, in stadiums, and out in the outdoors, in the arenas. But there's something different when you have it in the church. There seems to be that it's the sweeter, closer fellowship when you're in the church. Out in those arenas, worldly places, we are grateful for the privilege of being out in oppression like a demon power that you have to break through before the revival ever starts. And then when you come into this church, it's the place where God dwells. It's coming to his house to have a meeting. And now we're glad tonight to see many of the old faces that I saw years ago in the ending up of my ministry here at the tabernacle. 
see Brother Graham in, Brother Curtis, and Sister Angie, and Sister Gertie here, and Brother Cox, and Sister Cox, and oh my, so many of you, Sister Spencer, and Brother Spencer, and all of you in here, we're so happy, Mama, Miss Slaughter, and Brother over here, just great groups of you still. How many is in here from the time we started back, I mean when I left in the revival to go out. Let's see your hands all over the church tonight. Just look at the hands. That's very fine. Now we are know that revivals only come by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who brings revivals. And we can't do it ourselves. We can only make that effort, and God has to bless that effort. And we trust that he will. I was telling my wife on the road down, I never even got a chance to eat supper tonight. It's awfully busy. It was 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon before I ever got my shirt on from the time I got up yesterday morning. That's what the telephone part says. It's right at 2 o'clock when I had an emergency for Dr. Sam Adair in Louisville. And when I'm and then so many other calls, veterans, one from the hospital said, well, we've waited time after time, and if hell's any worse than we get there, then what this misery's been waiting, and just a scream and a cry from everywhere, hundreds of ministers. And I tell you, we're living in one of the greatest days that this world has ever known, one of the greatest times. And I'm so glad to see a hunger in the hearts of the people for more of God. Now, I have taken up all my heart praying that it isn't the will of God. And by the way, there's some people standing back there. I wonder, we got a, a seat here, a little bench. I wonder if some way we couldn't fix that little bench, some of the ladies or something standing back there, that we could... Uh, um, Maybe here, one or some of them hear something, just walk up and get on the bench up here, up here in front. Maybe, Brother Ben, we're glad to see you. And the last time I seen you, I was in San Fernando Valley, California, a few weeks ago. And here's places up here. If you care to come up, you, you folks in the back of standing. And now, if you want to come up, why, uh, come right ahead up. Here's a seat extra up on the platform here and some extra places here, and they'll be taken on the altar. We want you to be just as comfortable as you can. And I told my wife that I promised myself that by the help of God, I don't aim to hold the services long. I want to speak 30 minutes, the Lord willing. And that'll be a miracle in itself, because I, I just can't get started too quick. <laughs> and uh, But I... I've just got to try, and because of, and then the coming time we're this tomorrow night. Tonight my subject is the second coming of the Lord, and tomorrow night is communion night, and I want to speak of communion from the Old Testament standpoint, and we're tomorrow night is the official communion night. For it is the night that our Lord was betrayed. And it's an official communion night. And after the services tomorrow night, the regular preaching service, 
then we will have communion. And everybody is invited to come with us and, and partake of this glorious uh, article was left of our Lord Jesus to us. And then the next night, the Lord willing, being the night of the crucifixion, I wish to, to take from a different standpoint, maybe, from what you be hearing on the radio, the crucifixion. And then on Saturday night, the entombment. Sunday morning at 6 o'clock, a sunrise service. At 10 o'clock, a baptismal service, and if there stands to be baptized, and then an Easter morning message. And Sunday night, the Lord willing, we're expecting a short message on the evidence of the resurrection and a healing service. The regular healing services like we have in the meeting, out in the, the regular meeting on this coming Sunday night. And if you've never seen it and your friends have never seen the visible evidence of the resurrected Jesus, I hope that he will do as he has in the past years in the meetings appear right here and do the same thing Amen. that he did when he was here on earth. Amen. And we're looking forward to that Praise time, God. the coming, that coming. That's right. Move right up and make yourself just as comfortable as possible. And um, I wonder if um, maybe tomorrow night we might be able to pick up some chairs somewhere, maybe down at the... Uh, the funeral parlor somewhere that we could get some extras, maybe to get around on the side. We want everybody as comfortable as possibly can be. How many love the Lord with all that is within you? Now, let's just set our affections towards Christ and just look now. We're not here for doctrines. We are here to worship the Lord, and we're just here to invite everybody of every creed, color, kind. It just doesn't matter here. We're just coming in to worship the Lord. And there'll be a half an hour of old-fashioned singing, and, and, uh, and before the services begin, and now tomorrow night I'm going to try to start just like tonight, exactly if possible, at 8 o'clock and let out just as quick as we can so you can come back the next night. And now, everybody welcome, and our visitors, you're more than welcome to come into fellowship, and as soon as the service is over, you people of the church here that comes here, see that you shake everybody's hand that you possibly can. Amen. Just be, just let down the bars now, and just have a wonderful time. Amen. And you don't know what our Lord might do. This is an Easter time, and we're just anticipating great things. Now, in the Blessed Word, I wish to read just a, a verse or a line or two out of St. Luke's Gospel and the 15th chapter, the 8th verse. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she shall lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she has found it. 
And when she has found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. Now, that may seem like a very odd scripture for the second coming of Christ, and but it's speaking of the second coming of Christ. And this great subject that we have here before us now is one of the most vital subjects in the entire Holy Writ. There's nothing so important as the coming of the Lord Jesus. For if he does not come, we have been found false witnesses, are dead that's in the grave, are perished, and there is no hope left for us if Jesus doesn't come visibly the second time. And in the very this light, in the very light of the second coming was so important that this holy week that we are now approaching, that Jesus, when he was approaching it at the first time in the very shadows of the cross, he spoke very little of his death, burial, and resurrection. He spoke more on his second coming than he did on his death, burial, and resurrection. So in the light of this, it must be a very important subject. In the Old Testament, there is many times more scriptures in the Old Testament pertaining to the second coming of Christ than there was to the first coming of Christ. Everything to the human race now after the atonement has been made rests solemnly upon the second coming of the Lord. Now we have different religions, and we have different bodies uh, uh, and different uh, theologies, but our Christian religion is based solemnly upon death burial, and resurrection, and the second coming of the Lord. Oh, it's an important question. And as we are now approaching to my most sincere thought, we are living in the very shadows of his second coming. Are there, to my way of seeing it, by the light of the Scripture, there is not one hope left for the church outside the second coming of the Lord. The world in its wild, pandemonic condition has got completely out of control of every man-made organization in the world. Kings cannot hold their subjects no more, neither can dictators 
hold their subjects anymore. Democracy cannot hold its subjects anymore. And there is no hope left but the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And it's now one of the most uh, horrible times for the unbelief and sinner that he has ever witnessed because the doom time is close at hand. And it's the most blessed time for the believer for his redemption is at hand. There's two factions in the earth tonight, the believer and unbeliever. The one the Lord is coming to receive and the one the Lord is coming to condemn. That is coming will bless one and will curse the other at his appearance. And being that this is such a vital thing, I think just before, at the eve, rather, of our little revival, that we should look solemnly and into the Scriptures and see how close that we are. If I wanted to know what time it was, I would look at my watch. If I wanted to know what day of the week we were living in or the month of the year, I would look at the calendar. And if I want to know the approaching time of this great event, I look at the Word of God. It tells the time when it is at hand. For the Bible said, when these things begin to come to pass, lift up your head, your redemption is drawing nigh. The time is at hand. It was such a great thing to John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos that when he saw the preview of the coming of the Lord, when he saw the curses that rested upon the unbeliever and the blessings that rest upon the believer, he screamed out, Even so come Lord Jesus. Amen. It so thrilled his heart after all he had seen the events before his coming, he screamed, Even so come Lord Jesus. Amen. And when the whole church age had been passed in his view, and he seen everything and major the way it would happen, then the stream come, Lord Jesus, it must be a glorious thing Amen. that the coming of the Lord draws near at hand. Jesus, when his disciples had got to a place that they were looking at the carnal or the natural things of the earth. Now here we want to stop just a few minutes. It doesn't have to always be carnal that'll draw us away. Sometimes just the natural things will draw us away. Jesus' servants or his disciples was pointing to him the city, temple, Jerusalem. The great temple where the 
God in his Shekinah glory had appeared in the holiest of holies. And when they told him of how goodly the stones was placed in, how the great mastermind of God had ordained that these stones was cut in many places in the world and come together, and in forty years of its erecting there wasn't even to a buzz of a saw or the sound of a hammer. It was so masterly put together. And it how God had come in over the cherubim and it showed forth his Shekinah glory and how they had great hope in this great church. And Jesus told them, See not all these things. Yet it was a holy place. It was a good place. It was the place house of the dwelling of the Lord. But Jesus said, Don't see these things. I've got something to tell you that's far greater than this. For there's coming the time, he said, that there will not be one stone left up on the other. No matter how well we try to take care of our physical being, no matter how hard we work for our organization, how hard we work in the church for our, uh, our orders of the church, there's coming a time when all those things will vanish and pass away. Jesus began to tell them that, and they said, What will be the sign of the coming of the end of the world? And Jesus began to speak to them. The time will come when there will not be stone left upon the other. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes in divers places. And the other day over in California, up in Oakland, when it was our privilege to be there in a meeting, and it was the first time that my wife had ever been in an earthquake. I was sitting in the barber shop and I, the room shook just a little and the radio quickly announced our earthquake was on. Said they're looking for another in about eight minutes. And I thought, oh, what if this is the last one? I hurried from the barber shop, met my wife who was waiting on the street, walked into a little drug store to get some little picture cards to send back to our loved ones. And while we were there, one of the most mysterious, funny feelings that man could ever feel, the whole earth began to rock. The bottles begin to fall from the shelf. The flues begin to fall off the building and into the street overrun the people screaming and crying as the plaster fell from the walls and the big buildings 
with thirty and forty stories locked together until the smoke or dust from the mortar went up like great mushrooms. And people begin to scream and run. I said, that is the finger of Almighty God saying the handwriting's on the wall. Jesus said, when you hear of earthquakes in diverse places, the earth split open down a highway for a long ways, about five foot, and went way down hundreds of feet in the earth. One place the entire highway dropped in. And I thought as that split open, I could just almost see the finger of Almighty God saying, there shall be earthquakes in divers places. While the day was going on, eight different earthquakes rocked that city, and beer joints stayed open, and drunks swarmed into the streets, and women walked the streets past dressed and everything as if nothing had ever happened. People are so earthbound today till I don't know what it will take to shape this country. They just seem to be so unconcerned. They don't notice. And one man even made a remark as I heard him with my own eyes said, did you see what I did? I shook my fist. I am the Superman. And I thought such blasphemy. I never thought so much of that as blasphemy as I did right here in our own city as I was going out the highway last evening to Georgetown as you crossed the sections out here just before you hit the new highway coming forth, there was a great sign sticking up there, and it said, He is risen, has life. And the very next sign then to alone said, Where there is Budweiser beer, there is life. I thought such blasphemy. That's all there is to it. And the Bible said that before the second coming of Christ, that man should be blasphemers, walking in their own ungodly lust, truth-breakers and false accusers. How the world has become in such a delusion. In Bombay, India, recently, when Billy, my boy, and I were there in a great meeting where tens of thousands of Hindus gave their life to Christ, there come a great warning. Now I want you to watch the intelligence of nature. And all of a sudden, for some unknown reason, all the little birds in the city begin to leave for the country. And birds by swarm left for the country. And they begin to notice all the cattle and the sheep 
and the ox. But in India, their fences is not like ours. They're not wooden fences. They're great rock fences that's built high. And all the cattle begin to get away from the walls and get away from the buildings and go way out in the middle of the field and begin to mill around out in the middle of the field. Then all of a sudden a great earthquake struck and shut down the walls. Trees rocked, missiles flew, and the birds never returned. And the cattle stayed out in the field. And man went right along thinking it was all right. And the next day another earthquake rocked. And more buildings turned over. And the missiles flew. And on the third day the cattle went back to the walls and the birds returned to the city. Amen. Oh, he who feeds the sparrow, he that brought his little creatures into the ark, still lives and reigns, and they seem to have more intelligence about God than man does who he created in his image. When man blesses the little creatures of the earth, God provides for them and they made their way away from the big walls. They'd have been killed. The birds would have been mashed in the cracks of the rocks as it rocked to and fro. Signs of his coming. Oh, it's a great day that we're now living in. Earthquakes in diverse places. Pestilence. All those things that Jesus spoke of is here. To my way of seeing it, I don't see anything left but the coming of the law. It's at hand. Jesus in the, also in his address to his people, he said, learn a parable of the fig tree. When it is tender and begins to put forth leaves, you say summer is not. And when you see these things begin to come to pass, know that the time is at hand. Notice what the fig tree was. The fig tree has always been the Jewish nation. He said not only the fig tree, but the other trees. When you see the fig tree, and all the other trees putting forth their buds. Now he spoke not only of the fig tree, but the other trees. Now let's just notice when it's putting forth its buds. We have lived in a very peculiar time in the past few years. The Gentile church has had one of the greatest revivals that it's ever had since, there, since the days of the apostles. Or the Gentile church didn't have the revival then. It was the Jewish church that had the revival. But the Gentile church in the past 10 or 12 years 
has had the greatest revival of the history. We are thinking of the Martin Luther revival. Yes, sir. It was the great, but that was in Germany. Alone. We're thinking of the Wesley revival. That was in England. It spread forth over here in a few of the British Isles, but never took too much effect. But in this day, this revival that's on of the supernatural has absolutely covered from sea to boundless sea. The world over to great radio and magazines and advances who went out unsponsored by mankind and have brought a revival that tens of thousands times thousands of souls have been born into the kingdom of God. In my own little fragile ministry that the Lord has given me, I've seen well over a million souls come to the kingdom of God. Think of it. When others of these great ministries who sweep out in radio and so forth to the millions, there's revival fires that burn on every hill in the world. Practically since I, since about ten years ago, since I, we got started in the revival. We're at the end time. Now, notice, then just before that, he prophesied here and said the walls of Jerusalem would be trod down by the Gentiles until the Gentile dispensation would be finished. The Bahamans have tuck it over. We realize that. And I want you to look at the crisis tonight. How Ishmael and Isaac are still at each other's neck, right at Jerusalem, where it's predicted they would be. And a few years ago, there was hardly any Jews at all in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus speaking, when you see the fig tree put forth its bud, now the Jews have been scattered to all the world. Great numbers, millions in Germany and in Italy and in the United States and all over the world. And God, as he did in the early days, hardened Pharaoh's heart. He hardened Mussolini's heart on the Jews. And the Jews was ousted from Italy. He hardened Hitler's heart and they were ousted from Germany. He hardened Stalin's heart, and they were ousted from uh, Russia. And had you been noticing the paper that we, the United States, are taking sides with the Arabs? Oh, brother! The handwriting's on the wall. God said, whoever blesses Israel will be blessed. Who curses Israel shall be cursed. Now, I have a picture at home, or I believe it's loaned out at the time, called the scientist 
three minutes before midnight, if the scientific world has said the clock has went around until it's three minutes before midnight, and I think they've cut that down now to about one minute before midnight, when they discovered hydrogen or oxygen, atomic, all those great powers that they could harness could completely cause a total annihilation in five minutes' time. They could absolutely tonight not be one living person on the entire North America continent in 30 minutes. And it's laying right in a bunch of infidel hands who hate us. And besides that, we've got barges and ships set all placed around on both to Siberia, over in Hungary, and different places where our ships are setting loaded with the same type of missiles. Brethren, it's later than you think. Solomon Gamora little knew that night that they were living their last hour. Little did Egypt know that the death angel that had been predicted to come would come that night. Little did Pearl Harbor realize that raid that took place. We are way in the balance and found warning. We are near the end time. What would happen if they right in Moscow could direct them missiles guided by the stars and radar could land that bomb exactly on 4th Street in Louisville if they wanted to. Right. And we can stand out there in the sea somewhere on our ships and deck one night straight on the capital of Moscow if we want to. What would happen, my brother, if that great missile turning would take place and this country would receive a shake at the same hour we turn loose the same things and shake it to the other side? And we're living on a little bitty tiny thin crust anyhow? When the earthquakes just eat around and eat around until it's like falling out an egg, it should make one big burst and this 8,000 miles thick of lava burst into the air. It would do exactly what God said to take place. We're at the end time. We're here. No way to stop it. All the begging we might put to Eisenhower in every county, and it will never stop it. Jesus Christ said these times would come. We are here. The fig tree putting forth its bud. In this picture, way down in Iran, you read in the Look magazine. How that they took big planes and went down there and got plane loads of these Jews. Thousands of them. Been down there since the carrying away of Babylon. 
been in there for 2,500 years, and had been left down there. They were plowing with old wooden instruments. They know nothing about Jesus ever being on earth. They know nothing about anything but their old Jewish tradition, traditions that they had lived by. And when these planes set out and begin to load these Jews on to take them back to the homeland, the prophet prophesied 28 or 30 hundred years ago and said, when they come out of that captivity, God will bring them forth on the wings of eagles. The prophet saw the plane coming. He saw them sitting down and picking them up and taking them back to the homeland. He didn't know what to call it. He just looked like an eagle to him. So he said they'd be brought back on the wings of eagles. And when they got out of the airship and the young was helping the old, they were interviewed. And they said, have you come back to the homeland to die? They said, no, we've come back to see the Messiah. Amen. Oh, great steamship from around the world. In the last few years, I've seen them to Jerusalem with aged Jews, young and old, dressed in their bark, from the east, from the west, and hanging over Amen. the castle of Jerusalem is that old six-point star of David, the oldest flag in the world that hasn't flied for 2,500 years, is declared a nation tonight. Amen. Big tree is putting forth her bud. Jerusalem is growing. The Lord is restoring the signs that the prophet foretold. The Gentile days numbered with pearls and cumbers. Return, O dispersed to your own. For the day of redemption is near. Man's hearts are failing for fear. Be filled with God's Spirit, your lamp trimmed and clear. Look up, your redemption's drawing near. It's later than we think. We don't come to church to occupy a few. We do not come to church to hear a good sermon or come to church to hear good music. They're all got their place. But what we better come to church to do is check up with God and our soul's salvation. For the day of redemption is near. Jesus Christ, God's Son, like in this, he said to a woman, and in our subject tonight, we find this woman, her husband had gone. And she had lost one of the coins out of her tablet. Now, I will try to explain that. Today, if a woman is married, she should wear a wedding ring as a sign that she's married. That's to keep other men from 
uh, having anything to do with it. They look and they see she's a married woman. In those days, they didn't have wedding rings. They had a tablet, they call it a tablet, they put on their head. It had ten coins, and it went around their head. And that was a sign they were a married woman. And no man was to fool with them. No boys was to flirt with them. They were married. Each one of those coins, if we only have time, but I haven't, I'm going to try to keep my word as close as possible. I could tell you what each one of those coins meant. It was placed in there, and each coin meant a certain virtue of that woman. The first meaning her love to her husband. Second, her pledge of virtue to live clean for him. And the third and fourth and fifth on to the ninth and tenth. If you want to look it up, look in Galatians 5. You'll find out that that woman represented the church. And the church is an espoused wife to Christ. And the tablet that the church is supposed to wear is found in Galatians 5, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, gentleness, patience. That is the tablet that's supposed to be worn in the church. Brotherly love, kindness, fellowship. And this woman when it must have been along about dark, that she realized that she lost one of those coins. Oh, if there ever was a time that the church ought to take inventory to find out if you got all the coins on, it should be now. It's getting dark. The, the very haunt and clouds of destroying civilization is hanging over the earth. Sin and debauch on every hand. We're living in a tremendous time. When there's wickedness, people who go to church just for a shame, people who go to church to try to hide from their meanness. People who go to church and profess Christianity and live like the rest of the world. Drinking, smoking, gambling, women, immoral dress, wearing clothes that they oughtn't to wear in, the, in their own dressing room out on the street before public. And brotherly love is a thing that's past me almost. We have not lost one coin, but we've lost practically every one of them. And it was getting night. And remember, her husband would return. And if he found her with one of those coins out, it showed she had been marked a harlot. If she had defiled or defiled herself in any way, and it was seen by the people, they brought her before the priest and brought witness 
that she had been found such, and the priest, seeing that she was a married woman, took the coin out of her tablet that she had been doing wrong by. If she had marred her virtues, they took that out. If she had been flirting, showing that she wasn't true to her husband, they took that one out. Whatever it was, they took it out. And when her husband returned, he found that she had been marked. And he would divorce her immediately and have nothing to do with such a woman. He did not want such a woman. So it was getting along towards dark when she realized that she had lost something. Time for her husband to come. And it's getting late. The church better be examining herself by the Word of God. Our purity, our loyalty, our devotion, we become tattlers, tail bearers, cigarette smokers, backbiters, painted up Jezebels, everything in the calendar that the rest of the world does. The Christian church is associating in those things today. So you can't hardly tell the one from the other. It's time we took inventory. It's getting late. Now, in order, it was so late. So she had to light a candle. And she got a candle. Not only did she get a candle, but she got a broom. And she went to house cleaning. Oh, brother. If there ever was the need of a time of a lighting of a candle, the sending forth of the gospel light, the Holy Ghost back into the church, not so much for emotions, not for some fantastic, not for some emotional workup, not for a jump or joy, but for a heart searching experience when men and women get right with God. Amen. Right. We're at the end time. And she lit a candle to give her life. And brother, every little candle in here ought to be lit tonight. Not only that, but she got the broom. And the neighbors could see the dust flying. <laughs> she had a real house cleaning time. For her husband was about to come. And if he caught her with that one coin out, she was a harlot. Brother, we the church of the living God, in these great hours that we are now in, it behooves us to check up, go before God, light the candle of the Word of the Gospel, and examine ourselves, and find out if we're not falling short, and especially when we see all these things coming. We're at the end time. The coming of Christ is at hand. There's not another hope in the world for the church. And look, the church is lying. The church has no conscience on them. You can hardly wake them up. The Bible said they would come in that condition. When they say, Lo, our Lord delays his coming, and they'll be defying and biting one another and so forth and fighting around. It's just exactly that hour. Everything's ready. The pages is turned as it was like that. 
and is ready the coming of the Lord. The Lutheran Church lost her life. The Methodist Church lost her life. The Baptist Church lost her life. The Pentecostal Church lost her life. Every life seems to be gone. The Pentecostal people, the holiness people, is acting just exactly like the Methodist. The Methodist is acting like the Baptist. The Baptist is acting like the Lutheran. The Lutheran is acting like the Catholic. And it's all gone back to one great big conglomeration of sin. Right. We're in the end time. The coming of the Lord. Now, she had a house cleaning time. She scrubbed the floor. She swept the walls. She cut down the cobwebs. She kept on until she found what she had lost. And when she did, she called her little sister churches to come now. I don't care if you're Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian. Come, let us rejoice together. That time comes when the church finds its brotherly love, when the church finds its holy decency, when the church finds its place in Christ. It will call to the other members of the body, come and rejoice with us. God wants the church to love him. I believe it was Sunday morning when I was speaking on the virtues of woman. How blessed! Who could find a sweeter thing than to come home tired when God has given man a wife? A woman and a man is inseparable. They are one. In the creation, God created them first, both together, and they're one heart, soul, mind, and everything. When he made man in the dust of the earth, he separated from his wife. When he made Eve, he didn't go make a, a woman, pick up some more dirt, but he took from the side of Adam a rib and made his wife. He said, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They were one in heart, soul, and body. It's a type of Christ. God didn't take Christ's church from a creed, neither did he take it from a denomination. He taken it from the heart of Christ, the spirit inside to the blood. My brother, sister, I don't care how religious you might be, if you're not covered by the blood, you're lost. We'll get into that day after tomorrow night, show how vital it is, but you're lost without the blood. Now, then when he made that wife, she was a companion. It was something for him to love. It was part of him. Now listen close. A man or a woman can never go to heaven except they are born again. I don't mean because you spoke the tongue. I don't mean because you shouted. I don't mean because you danced. I don't mean because you went to church and been regular. Wear a button for your faithfulness. Those things are all right, but that's not it. There has got to be absolutely a union connection between you and Christ and you become one. You are one. And if you're not, how could you imagine coming in at nighttime, tired, weary, war, if you're a farmer, mechanic, 
preacher, whatever you are, come in. When you go into your little home, you're long until you can get there. You open the door, and a sweet little wife stands there. She greets you. She's all pretty and cleaned up. She walks over and kisses you on the cheek. She says, Dad, you're tired. She sets you down in a chair. She sets herself down on your lap. She puts her arms around you, and she pats you. It just seems like then that you're not tired. Something picks you up. It's something that God gave you for that purpose. It's a part of you. Now, if she's a true wife, but what if those lips has kissed another man that day or some other time? What if you're conscious of that? What if them arms has hugged another man? She is absolutely an abomination on your lap. That kiss burns like a Judas kiss. Those arms, you'd rather they wouldn't be around you. Oh, she may be all printed up. Her hair may be curly. Her eyes may be brown. Her cheeks may be rosy. Her little skirts may be ironed. She may be so pretty. But if that real, genuine, godly respect and love and confidence is in there, she'd be better off to stay off your life. You don't want nothing to do with her. She's, a, she's an indebtedness to you. I don't care how pretty she makes herself. She's still wrong until she is proven to be a real, genuine sweetheart, loving nobody but you. No other kiss from her lips but yours. No other arms to hold her but yours. And you know it. What a feeling. What a consolation. That is husband and wife with this type of Christ and his church. And when you go to your church, you may have the best pews in the city. You may have the highest steeple there is in the city. You may have the best pipe organs. You may dress the best. You may sing like a mockingbird. But all of that, if you're kissing and flirting with the world, that kiss on the cheeks of Christ is a Judaitarian kiss. He doesn't want nothing to do with you. He looks upon your wedding engagement ring, and he finds the tablet moved. He finds love is gone. It's a farm. He finds loyalty is gone. You've committed fornications with the world. Amen. You go to dances and boogie-woogie parties and watch old dirty television programs. You are committing adultery with Christ on Him and calling Him your husband. Amen. The Bible said, you say, I am rich. I have need of nothing. But he said, you don't know that you are naked, miserable, blind, poor, and don't know it. It's time we lit a candle and swept the house. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's think that over just a few minutes while we bow our heads, will you? Would you turn to the piano, sister?
What have you been doing, church? Watch your conditions tonight. When your hands raise up in your devotion, is there something checking? If you're flirting with the world, if you're doing things that's wrong, your kit. Think of it, man. Mister, I want to ask you something. And this goes for Miss Dewey. Mrs. Young lady, what would you think of your boyfriend? If you knew you'd seen him out kissing and going on with other girls, and you were engaged to him, and he'd come over and pat you on the hand and say, Here, I'll you only. You'd say, you little hypocrite. Get out of my view. What would you think of it, mister? We're not only engaged, but we're married. The church is married to Christ. We are the wife of Christ, bringing forth children. How would you like to come home of a night for your devotion to your wife? And she's got a bunch of little children. And you find that day and when she comes in, all her nails may be painted. That is, if you're of the world. You might, she might look ever so pretty. But you know, think of it, brother, if that woman's been kissing other men, if those arms that's around you, telling you she loves you, and you know that that's a, that she loves others too, her love is not true. Her love is not true. It don't belong to you. It belongs to others also. If there's any man about you, you scoot her off your lap. Think of what a feeling that would be. Think of it, lady, if your husband come home. Not only that, but packing diseases of immoral acts. And oh, bless your heart, the churches eat up with spiritual venereal. All kinds of isms and everything else. Wrong. God be merciful. Jesus is coming, friends. You ain't going to have time one of these nights or one of these days. You better check up now. Let's pray. How many of you say, Brother Branham, with your head bowed, your hands lifted, remember me in your prayer, Brother Branham? I come tonight. I didn't come here just to be seen. God bless you. Just look at the hand. I didn't come here to be seen. I come to find out something. And I believe that God spoke to my heart while you're preaching. And I realize that I'm wrong. I, I want to be a real true Christian. I want to be a real lover. That when I go to my Lord and kneel on my knees, I want you to embrace me in his arms. Say, oh, my lover. You remember Solomon, how he spoke of it? He said, come, my love. Let us walk through the pomegranates. Let us walk through the garden of spices. How he said her lips look like rosebuds and so forth. How he loved his little wife. Said, come, let us go and take our fill of love. When you get down to your altar to pray, is your heart so true and your soul so undulterated that you say, Lord God, let us take our love? And he said, yes, my lover, I love you. Or have you been committing fornication? 
Have you been flirting with the world? And the hour of the Lord is at hand. When all these signs and wonders with tens of thousands of other things that's taking place, pointing, every marker's pointing. It's getting dark. There's a cooling off in the church. The revival seems to be over. The last bit is about finished. And here we find ourselves in adultery. What will he do? He'll shove us from his lap and say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Now, if there's someone here who would like to be remembered again, I might ask at this minute, raise your hands to God. Say, I now surrender and say, By God's grace from tonight on, I'll live a true life of God's help. God bless you. God bless you. You, brother. You, sister. You, young lady. You, sir. You, brother. You over here. Down there, you young man, is there a person here that has never been saved and say, Brother Branham, remember me, I've never been born again. I know I'm not. Listen, you're not saved until you're born again. You just turned your face towards something. But when you accept Christ, you're born again. You say, Brother Branham, I've never accepted it. I know I'm wrong. I now raise my hands and say, You remember me too. I've never been saved. I've never, never even tried to serve Christ, but I want to try it. Pray for me, Brother Bram. Will you raise your hand? Someone in here now? Is there one person in here that's never been a Christian would like to raise your hand and say, Remember me, brother, in prayer? God bless you, son. Someone else say, Remember me, brother. God bless you, lady. Someone else? Remember me, brother. I want to now believe on the Lord Jesus and accept him as my Savior. God bless you, brother. That's good. Someone criticized me the other day saying, Brother Bram, why do you say raise your hand? Listen, there's no one believes in the altar call any more than I do. I believe in coming to the altar. That's good. But that doesn't save you. It's your opinion, your decision of Christ. You say, well, if I walk up to the altar, that's good. But, brother, did you realize when you raise your hand, you break every scientific law there is? Your hand by nature, by gravitation, ought to hang down. If you raise your hand, it shows there's a supernatural being in you that's able to defy the laws of nature to raise your hand towards your Creator. Something in your heart made a decision. God sees you raising your hands just the same as He sees you at the altar. That's exactly right. If you mean it, God means it too. But look, friends, you can't be halfway. You've got to mean it. Now let us pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, tonight at the beginning of this revival, as our time has swept up now in a little past, I pray thee to be merciful to these people and grant Almighty God that here tonight at least twenty hands went up in the building that they needed Christ. Oh God, it's their soul. The spirit of all is just about burnt out. There won't be much more. When the last drop's gone from the bucket or the container, there'll be no more oil put in lamps. They realize that they're in the last days. There's not a hope on earth for us outside of Christ. I pray tonight, Lord, that somehow in this Solemnness of this moment, this solemnity, that you will now send the Holy Spirit that made them raise their hands and save them from a life of sin. Grant, Father, 
and may before this meeting shall end, may there be literally dozens of them, many shouting with the Holy Spirit, may this baptistry just be just one after the other, baptized in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ on Easter morning, rising to newness of life. O eternal blessed Father, I pray that you will bless them. Grant it, Lord. And now, right at this very moment, may their decision be true. May they accept you right where they're sitting. Our altars and around are filled with people. And we pray that you'll let these people this night be your servants. In Christ's name, while we have our heads bowed, I want to ask you one solemn question. You that held your hand, and you were praying, I know you didn't raise your hand just to see your hand go up. You raised it because something told you to. And you say, by an uplifted hand, Brother Branham, I believe before God and this company, I believe that something has happened in my heart tonight, that from this night on, I'm going to be a different person. Would you raise your hand? You who did raise your hand, say, I'll be, God bless you, lady. God bless you, 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 you. That's wonderful. Way back in the back, yes. The Lord bless you. Somebody else raise your hand. Say, I believe right now. God bless you, brother. The Lord tells me, my God bless you, lady back there. God bless you, young lady over here. The Lord tells me right now that something has happened in my heart. Now, I believe I'm going to have more joy out of this revival than I ever had in my life. God bless you. All right, God bless you, lady sitting here. I thought it was just about time for you to raise your hand to. Is there another thing I do feel different, Brother Branham? I believe I'm going out of this church tonight with a consciousness of the soon approaching of Christ. I'm going out of here to live a different life. I'm going to be a Christian by the grace of God. I believe that God has called me. If He's called you, you're His. Quit flirting. Quit flirting with the world. Come on, live for Him now. Say, I'll repent of all my sins, and now I'm taking Christ as my Savior. Would there be another before closing? Is there? God bless you, brother. God bless you. That's good. God bless you. That's good. So happy to see you do that. All right. Beginning of the night now. A little. We just don't want to put too much squeeze to it. We're only out early so you can get back tomorrow night. Just before we close, is there a sick person? Well, raise your hand and say, pray for me, Brother Brandon. All right? That's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hands, eleven, twelve. All right? Another thirteen, fourteen. All right, fifteen. Let us bow now. Blessed Heavenly Father, you've seen those hands. And oh, they are here for a purpose. Maybe they're Christians, but they need your great help. And we realize, Lord, that you cried out to David, said, Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquity, who heals all of our diseases. I pray that the blood of Christ will rest preciously upon them, and they'll be healed to enjoy this coming meeting. Grant it, Lord, through Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Let us stand now. Oh, 
name of Jesus we Just in a moment of prayer, while I ask the pastor to come up here and just mention the word of prayer. 